G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Charles Newington, back with us. Hi, Charles. Welcome back to 2020. Uh, Good morning, Neil, and visitors and listeners. Charles, let's start with Australia Day. Uh, Now, it all happened last weekend, Uh, a background of uh, bushfires and all sorts of things that were happening. Uh, What were your reflections on the Australia Day well, ceremony, celebration, uh, for some it's uh, Invasion Day. Uh, what were your thoughts about Australia Day? I think the fact that it came uh, around, uh, during the time of the Great Fires, you know, and just at the time when the Great Fires were sort of starting to come under control and we had had so much in the media about the courage of people, the generosity of people, uh, that I think the country was uh, had sort of got over its kind of blaming and was now thankful that there were so many good-hearted people and sacrificial people. And we we both grieve with those people who lost so much during the fires, but something in us is kind of inspired and re-energised by the sacrifice and the, the just the human kindness that was seen. And I think that that set the tone for Australia Day this year. Of course, uh, there was a fair bit of politicising all of the things that were going on, Uh, the bushfire disasters, uh, the Prime Minister overseas, uh, all sorts of things, uh, you know, popular politicking was happening at the same time. Yes, and it it brought to our attention the complications of our political structure, where fires are generally the responsibility of state governments. And um, and if they get out of control, it is the responsibility of the state governments to invite the federal government in to assist, as finally happened with with the the troops and things like that, reservists and troops. And um, but um, I think that one of the things that I, I reflected on is the way in which there's a disturbing tendency, not just in Australia but globally, is to is to, to try to uh, uh, apportion blame. You know, one of the the key knee-jerk reactions is who's responsible for this and um and and there was a sort of a groundswell of negativity that blamed the prime minister for these fires as if he personally lit them and i think that um you know what we've seen here is that we have to kind of work out the relationship between states and federal governments in situations like this and he's getting to work to try to sort that out so that in the future people are clearer about these things it's a very important time of year, Australia Day, and while it might be controversial, it is a time when we recognise people and their contribution to Australian society. The Australia Day Awards, uh, you had a few thoughts about uh, the winner of the Australia Day Award, uh, certainly a great hero, James Mukey. Yes, uh, I'm so pleased that um, the Australia Day Award goes to somebody who's actually engaged in some kind of uh, social good you know he's in he's doing something um over and beyond his professional life but through his professional skills here he is working globally with his uh, his little organization uh, helping people who have lost their sight uh, restoring it remediating blindness doing whatever he can to restore people's sight because he recognizes that not not only is it a personal loss but it's a loss to a family if the if if they have blind a family member it's a loss to a community there's so much that's 
that's lost in blindness. And he points out how in our own nation, um, diabetes, one of the consequences of diabetes, which is a bit of a plague in our society, is is blindness or, or, or damage to eyesight. So uh, um, I, he wrapped it all up, you know, with that great phrase, didn't he? You know, that he thought receiving this honour was especially wonderful uh, in 2020, an auspicious year for eyesight. Well, as you know, I like the idea of 2020, uh, getting lots of publicity this year for this radio yeah. program. Hey, yeah, uh, of course you would be. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Charles, uh, other big things that have been happening. Uh, the anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz in Poland, a uh, dreadful Nazi death camp. Uh, you've been reflecting on that, and uh, as have a number of commentators uh, in the newspapers this past week. Yes, um, Henry Ergas um, wrote an article about it, as did others, but Henry rarely puts pen to paper without first engaging his brain, and uh, he's a delight to read. But his article called uh, Thinking for Ourselves, Precious and Threatened, what he does is he, he focuses on the fact that uh, something must have been happening in a German society that, that created a, an environment where the death camps could occur. And uh, and that's his particular interest. And he starts, this is Ergassian, you know, I sort of coined the phrase, this is Ergassian. He observed that 75 years ago in 1945 on Australia Day, the daily papers first began to report on the discovery of the terrible Nazi death camps and in particular Auschwitz. And he just uses the phrase little snippets on page four. So at the time these little snippets came through, people didn't realize what they were going to be seeing. And then, of course, within months, we got the kind of Pathé News type uh, news, n- news reels on I- in cinemas and things, and, and, and people saw the starved and the, and the mountains of, um, of shoes and spectacles and, and clothing and, and dead bodies that, that have haunted the memories of so many. And it's around this time of year, and you might reflect on this, uh, you know, getting back to work after a holiday or whatever, you see all of those uh, news reports, documentaries, uh, about Auschwitz, about uh, Nazi death camps and uh, there have been religious leaders around the world who have uh, tried to sort out uh, some of the image issues that they themselves have uh, but a lot of people are getting on side and, uh, and standing there for the Jews and uh, even from uh, those who might be almost considered polar opposites uh, even uh, Islamic leaders are standing up for Jewish people. Yes, well, um, this was very significant that the general secretary of the Mecca-based Muslim World League that has, you know, that's been implicated in so much terrible stuff over the years, he visited uh, uh, Auschwitz and he, but he didn't come for the formal uh, celebration event, he, or the memorial event. He came before that, but nevertheless he came uh, with with a with a group, and uh, they they took him through Auschwitz and um, and the museum, and they can believe it or not, this is they did the Shabbat meal together with the with the, uh, the Polish uh, uh, Jews that that hosted them there, and um, and and the the chief rabbi uh, of Poland uh, said about his visit uh, that it was a moral act by a religious leader at a time when elected officials were making politics around Auschwitz. And 
Uh, I think that, that um, you know, we, we'll, we can talk about this more because it's, it's, it's quite a symbolic mention, uh, event, really, his visit. Uh, some people will be cynical about that. And uh, I guess you've got to be on guard to be cynical because you do want to promote good relations between the major world religions, even if you know that in, in some sort of deep ingrained sense there is disagreement because uh, you do want to have peaceful relations with those uh, leaders. Yes. Um, uh, let's take it at face value uh, that, that he said he's a, he's a moderate and he said um, as Muslims, uh, they strongly condemn and feel the strong pain over crime. And listen, this is what I'd like people to, to remember. Crimes committed against humanity in general and against religions in particular and especially against ethnicities, you know, religious ethnicities. He said this in an interview uh, in Riyadh before he left. And, um, and you know, the Arab community, the Islamic Arab community has disputed the Holocaust, you know, and and uh, for many, many years. And he made the observation that falsifying history, uh, especially the most atrocious crime in the history of the world, is a crime itself, you know. And so this is quite a change of mind to have somebody of that stature making that recognition. And I think that what he's noticing, and this is my point today, is he's noticing, I think he's, he's, he's noticing... Uh, uh, something that concerns him, and that is crimes against humanity in general and against religion in particular, that these things are increasing, they're escalating, and something is changing in the global mood, uh, and, uh, and, and he's concerned about it. And, uh, and that's what Auschwitz, the message of Auschwitz was, is don't forget, don't forget that the society gets to this terrible point by steps, and, uh, and they're saying we see some of these steps in place at this present moment, the things that led to Auschwitz, we could see them happening in Germany from from the early 1930s. Talk about change of mood, Charles. A significant thing happened in the US just this past week uh, where the uh, President Donald Trump uh, was actually one of the uh, guest speech uh, makers at... Uh, at what was uh, the 47th March for Life in Washington, D.C. Uh, first time a president has appeared live, as I understand it. And, of course, that all happened on the day uh, Roe versus Wade. There's a major tidal change here in the U.S. where people are turning against this whole abortion industry that is so rife there. And, of course, here in Australia, that tide doesn't seem to be changing at the same rate. But what were your thoughts on, on the fact that they had the 47th March for Life in Washington, D.C., and, uh, and Donald Trump was there? Yes, it is significant, isn't it? Um, you know, just sort of tying these two things together, it was 75 years before a most significant Muslim leader recognized Auschwitz, as it were, and it's 47 years before the President of the United States recognizes what's happening in the abortion industry in his country. And uh, it takes a long time, doesn't it? It takes a long time, and it speaks about the persistence that's required um, uh, uh, for people of, of goodwill and of good faith um, when they're dealing with things that can get so deeply entrenched in the psyche of a nation, such as abortion. Charles, so, the, uh, an important element of the president's speech, uh, the idea of protecting the unborn, uh, connected with the idea of defending religious freedom. 
Now, that's an interesting one to talk about. Uh, what were your reflections through this week as, uh, as you looked at his speech? Yes, well, I noticed in the comments below that someone had made the observation that they, they couldn't see the connection between defending the unborn and religious freedom. But uh, the connection, and the majority of those people that were in that, uh, in that vast crowd, a vast crowd, it's worth going online just to look the size of the crowd. It's huge. It goes on for miles. But the connection is that most of them were Christian people. And for thousands of years, uh, biblical faith has affirmed the thought that full humanity begins with conception. That's, that's the principle. That for, 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 for faith, when we talk about faith, um, Christian faith and biblical faith, that's the principle that Christians need to return to, that full humanity begins at conception. And, and in spite of the literal flood of evidence that people are capable of the most horrible things, you know, that, that we've seen in the Auschwitz stories, God-given faith insists upon the power of God to deliver people from, from evil, from evil that's both within us and around us. And this is the reason why Jesus gave us that prayer with the line in it, deliver us from evil. And um, the, the, one of the things that Ergas did with, uh, with his comments on Auschwitz is he, 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 he refers to Hannah Arendt, who is a J- Jewish political philosopher who's passed away now, but she just escaped from, um, uh, from uh, Nazi Germany before all this happened. And she, she could not explain, uh, using the normal, uh, the, the normal ways of explaining how industrialized death occurred in, in, in Germany. And, um, and she she concluded that what happened was that that and these are my words now that the process of dehumanization of stripping a section of society stripping from them their humanity stripping from them that image of god so we reduce them to something that has no value or lesser value once people start to think that way about other human beings and they stop thinking of them as as themselves um, then they're open to, to things happening in their society, laws that will banish these people from certain clubs or make it difficult for them to get jobs or, or they can't play football or we want to change the names of, uh, of stadiums and things like that because we are in the process of dehumanizing a particular class, a group of people. And that's what's been going on in these articles. They're saying the kind of things that were being said on, uh, in, 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 uh, you know, in the 1930s in, in Germany to, to dehumanize people led to Auschwitz and what they're concerned about is that those are the kind of things that are being said. And, 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 and that's what he says here. He says that, 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 that when we dehumanize the unborn, when we dehumanize the unborn, we don't realize what we're doing. We're sort of crossing a terrible line, and, and it won't be long before we start to dehumanize other people. And so that's the thing. When we think about this, I mean, the Holocaust of abortion, you know, it really is. In our nation, um, in our nation, somewhere over 3 million people since Roe versus Wade have, have, have had their lives have ended in the, in the womb. And uh, that's a that's a, a a terrible a terrible thing. But um, what a powerful thought, though, that you deliver today, Charles. That dehumanisation leads to industrialization of death, and uh, even as we've been remembering uh, today, uh, Auschwitz, uh, the Nazi death camps, and what led to those the 
the dehumanization of a race. And so what you're saying here, uh, very powerful and uh, picking up on some of those commentators, that right from conception, that's where full humanity begins. So as soon as you start to reduce that conception, uh, you don't have full humanity anymore and you are on a slippery slope that ultimately can lead to a... A, as you say, a, a, an industrialization of death. And so when we talk about industrialization of death, we're talking about an industry here, the abortion industry. We're even talking yeah. about an industry now starting at the other end too for, uh, uh, for the elderly. So, uh, so we're actually, are, we are actually on this slippery slope. And, and uh, if we don't do something about it, we could be in trouble down the track. Yes, and that's and that's why you know so many people think that you know what's going on about the the religious uh, discrimination bill that that that's just you know it's just inconsequential. But the principle of protecting humanity, you know, often it it just usually falls to the hands of those people who are off are guided by their faith, who are stirred by their faith because they realise what's happening and where this road leads. And as Christians, Charles, uh, we have this, uh, this compulsion to look at the value of human life uh, created in the image and likeness of God. We have these guidelines, uh, we have these principles to be able to defend, to uphold, and somehow or other we've got to find it within us uh, to have the strength and the courage to be able to stand boldly and uh, declare these things. But we are here created in the image and likeness of God, such an important thing to be able to remember, and especially when we're facing these big issues that we are this year around religious freedom. And as we see the, the groundswell movement here in Australia begin to grow, just, to, you know, when you start to see thousands turning out on the streets rather than hundreds, uh, when you start yeah. to see people raising their hands and saying, enough is enough, uh, the, abortion, the abortion industry has gone far too far. Uh, look, I'll point people to the Family Voice website, uh, connecting with Family Voice Australia, Charles Newington with great thoughts once again today. You'll find articles, you'll find resources there uh, to encourage you in your faith, to equip you to be able to uh, take action. Familyvoice.org.au And Charles Newington, outstanding thoughts as always. Uh, love our conversations. Look forward to our next update next week. Thanks for being with us again today on 2020. You're too kind, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.